0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Serial Killers Around the World. My name is Annette, and in my podcast, I discuss exactly that, serial killers around the world. I hope everyone had a wonderful New Year's and that 2024 is amazing for you. Now, before I get started, I do want to give my listeners fair warning on some of today's topics, which include rape, necrophilia, and animal abuse. On today's episode, I'm going to talk about serial killer, necrophiliac, and rapist Edmund Kemper, also known as a co-ed killer. He was born on December 18, 1948, in Burbank, California, to parents Edmund Kemper Sr. and Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper. His parents weren't exactly a happy couple, and Edmund Sr. stated that living with his wife was worse than fighting in World War II. Clarnell was said to be a violent alcoholic who humiliated her son frequently, and it is also alleged that she physically abused Kemper and that the abuse included making him sleep in a locked basement. Some say she may have suffered from a type of personality disorder, and I would certainly have to agree with that opinion. As an FYI, America's serial killer population is reported to be 3,204, or 67.58% of all known serial killers around the world. Here in the USA, we have a lot to be proud of, but this is certainly not one of them. Kemper was a middle child of three siblings. Remember that it is stated that the middle and eldest children are statistically known to turn into serial killers, and Kemper fits right into this statistic. At birth, he was a whopping 13 pounds and, as an adult, reached a height of 6 feet 9 inches. He was said to have a close relationship with his father, but in 1957, his parents separated when he was 9 years old and later divorced in 1961. Kemper was mostly raised by his mother after that. This negatively impacted Kemper Jr. and certainly didn't help him thrive in a healthy manner. His mom would go on to marry two more times, both ending in divorce. As is the case with most serial killers, abusing animals was one of Kemper's hobbies as a child. At the age of 10, he tortured and killed the family's pet cat, and a couple of years later, he killed another cat because he was jealous that the cat favored his sister, Alan Lee. This sicko kept parts of the dead cat in his closet for some time until his mother discovered his gruesome trophy. Kemper had many dark fantasies as a child and would oftentimes take his sister's dolls and amputate their heads and hands. He would also take his father's bayonet and peer into one of his teacher's windows, and I can only imagine what sort of perverted thoughts he had during those times. Some of his warped favorite childhood games included playing Gas Chamber and Electric Chamber. I'm happy to report that I played neither of those games as a child. At his request... Kemper would ask his younger sister to tie him up and ask her to pull an imaginary switch to fry him. I guess hopscotch and and hide-and-seek weren't at the top of his list as far as childhood games were concerned. His eldest sister, Susan, must have sensed some sort of evil in her brother and attempted to kill him twice, once by pushing him in front of a train and another time by pushing him into a pool, which led to Kemper almost drowning. This may seem harsh to my listeners, but just think if his sister had been successful in killing him, there would be ten people who would not have been murdered by him. As a teenager, Kemper attended Sierra Joint Union High School, and his teachers stated he was an average student and a quiet kid. My next paragraph will make you think otherwise. At the age of 15, he shot his grandparents to death with a rifle after an argument with his grandmother. The rifle was a gift from his grandfather, and after they'd witnessed Kemper killing birds and other small animals with it, they took the weapon away from him. After slaughtering his grandparents, he called his mom, and then they called the police. He was arrested and sent to Atascadero State Hospital and was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. During his time at the state hospital, Psychiatrists claim that Kemper was a good worker who took pride in his work as head of the psychological testing lab. Sheesh, some of the stuff I've read about this guy just blows my mind. He was eventually diagnosed with a personality disorder with passive-aggressive tendencies, and he was noted to be extremely smart with an IQ of 145. A psychiatrist at the hospital stated, quote, If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we're dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illnesses. It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or to any members of society. Since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expansion of his juvenile records. It is apparent that Kemper was a chameleon who managed to camouflage his true personality by coming across as an affable guy with good manners. I also think that in the 1960s and 1970s, people were less apt to believe that people who came across as friendly and stable could be evil and dangerous. Kemper was released from the state hospital on his 21st birthday after serving a five-year sentence. It is interesting to note that in the U.S., 55% of juvenile offenders who are released go on to commit more crimes. Case in point with Kemper. Upon his release from the state hospital, he moved in with his mom and history once again repeated itself, with Carnell taking many opportunities to emotionally abuse her son. Neighbors would often hear the two arguing, and shortly thereafter, Carnell started as an administrator. Upon his release from the state hospital, he moved in with his mom and history once again repeated itself, with Cornell taking many opportunities to emotionally abuse her son. Neighbors would often hear the two arguing. As part of his probation, Kemper was required to attend community college, and he also applied to become a state trooper, but was shot down due to his 300 pound weight and 6'9 stature. He had quite a fascination with cops and enjoyed hanging out at the jury room, a bar popular with police officers. Kemper held a series of jobs and ended up working for the California Highway Department and during that time shared an apartment with a friend, although he seemed to yo-yo between living with a friend and going back to his mother's house. With his wages from this job, Kemper bought a motorcycle and one day while riding, a car struck him and he received a severe injury to his arm. As a result of this, he received a settlement and with his money bought a new car, which resembled a police cruiser. It is interesting to note that in 1973, Kemper became engaged to a student he met at a Santa Cruz beach. She has never been publicly identified other than revealing she was 17 or 18 years of age at the time. Kemper and his fiancée broke up a little over a year after their engagement due to his second arrest. According to reports, they never engaged in sexual activity with each other and that he really put her on some sort of worshiping pedestal. Whoever that girl was, she dodged a bullet. One day, while cruising around town in his new car, Kemper began to notice many young women hitchhiking. This spurred his dark fantasies and was the catalyst in bringing to life his dark and warped fantasies. He put together a murder kit consisting of blankets handcuffs, and knives, and stored these items in his car. Kemper has stated that he gave approximately 150 female hitchhikers' rides before the killings began. Ed's murderous rampage of Cohen students began on May 7, 1972. Marianne Pesci and Anita Mary Lucessa were students attending Fresno State University and were walking in the town of Berkeley when they were picked up by Kemper who promised to drop them off at Stanford University. Instead, he drove them to secluded woods instead he drove to secluded woods near the city of Almeda. Kemper was familiar with this area from working with the highway department. He managed to handcuff the 18-year-old women and before stabbing and strangling Mary Ann to death he locked Anita Mary in the trunk. Once Marianne was dead, he stabbed and strangled Anita, Mary, until she died. At one point, Kemper accidentally brushed his hand against one of Marianne's breasts and actually apologized to her, as he was embarrassed by this innocuous touch. Well, at least innocuous in this case, considering what was happening to these girls at the time. Once he'd killed the girls, he placed them in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and drove to his apartment, While on his way home, he was stopped by a police officer for a broken taillight. It was certainly too late to save these girls, but had the officer been suspicious at all of Kemper, he may have taken the opportunity to search the car. Once in his apartment, he photographed Mary Ann and Anita Mary and then had sexual intercourse with their bodies before dismembering them. After placing the body parts in garbage bags, he dumped them near Loma Prieta Mountain, a 3,790-foot-high mountain located in the Santa Cruz Mountains in Northern California. Just a few months later, Mary Ann skull was discovered, but no other traces of either girl were ever found. Fast forward to September 14, 1972, Kemper spotted 15-year-old A. Cuckoo Who made the bad decision of hiking to dance class. For my younger listeners, please note that hitchhiking in the 1970s and even beyond was not an uncommon occurrence and most people didn't consider it a dangerous activity. After driving the young girl to a secluded area, before Kemper had a chance to shoot and kill the girl, he accidentally locked himself out of the car. Unfortunately, Kemper somehow convinced Ayahu to unlock the car, a very grave mistake. He then strangled her until she lost consciousness, then raped her and killed her. After placing her body in the trunk of his car, he went to a bar for a few drinks before returning to his apartment. As he had done with his first two victims, Marianne Pesci and Anita Mary Lachessa, He proceeded to have sexual intercourse with her body and afterwards dismembered and disposed of her remains. Aiko's disappearance did not go unnoticed by her mother, who put up flyers asking for information on the whereabouts of her young daughter. But she was unsuccessful in receiving any information as to where her daughter could be. Cindy Shaw was an 18-year-old student at Cabrillo College, a community college located in Aptos, California. On average, 9,700 students attend this college each term. Kemper picked up Cindy on January 7, 1973, and as was his M.O., drove to a secluded area and shot her with a twenty-two caliber gun, put her body in the trunk of his car, and drove to his mom's house this time. After keeping her body in his bedroom closet overnight, he had sexual intercourse with the body, and after his mom left for work, He then dismembered Cindy's body in his mom's bathtub. His depravity sunk to new levels. He kept the 18-year-old victim's head as a trophy and used it as a form of oral rape. While typing this, I felt nauseous and disgusted, and it's even worse having to read it aloud. It doesn't matter that the young woman was dead. It was a mistreatment of her when she was alive and the defilement of her body after he killed her. After Kemper was arrested, his recurring excuse and reasoning for killing and performing necrophilia on the young girls and women was basically his mother's fault. After he was done with defiling Cindy, he threw her remains off of a cliff. A few days before Valentine's Day, on February 5, 1973, he had an argument with his mother and after leaving the house, went in search of his next victim. A few days before Valentine's Day on February 5, 1973, he had an argument with his mother and after leaving the house, went in search of his next victim. Female college students had been warned to be aware of their surroundings and were on high alert due to the murders taking place over the last few months. Unfortunately, students were advised that it was anyone who had university stickers on their car were considered safe. I guess authorities thought that serial murders weren't likely to attend university or work at a university. It sounds really silly to realize that this was a thought process. And it was a different time and place in the 1970s. People judged books by their covers, and by doing so, this led these girls into the proverbial lion's den, otherwise known as Edmund Kemper. 23-year-old Rosalind Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Lou were on the UCSC campus when Kemper spotted them. After the women got into his car, he drove them to a secluded area and shot both women to death. After arriving back to his mother's house, he beheaded the women before bringing their headless bodies into the home. And as previously done, he had sexual intercourse with the dead women and then dismembered Rosalind and Alice's bodies. Some of their remains were discovered at Eden Canyon a few days later, and later on, more of the remains were found at another location. If my listeners aren't completely disgusted by Kemper at this point, I've got more for you. It was April 20th, 1973, when Clarnell, Kemper's mother, woke him up. As usual, she was inebriated after coming home from a party. For some reason, the words she spoke to him, quote, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now, end quote, sent Kemper into some sort of dark rage. After replying to her, no, good night, he waited until she fell asleep and proceeded to bludgeon her with a claw hammer and then slit her throat. After cutting off his mother's head, he proceeded to, quote, humiliate her corpse, quote, and afterwards put the head on a shelf and, per his words, screamed at her for a while and even threw darts at it. This wasn't enough for him, and he also felt the need to smash her head in, cut out her tongue and larynx, and then throw him down into the garbage disposal. Kemper kept his mother's headless body in a closet, and then went to a nearby bar for some drinks, and after socializing, returned back home. He felt he had to kill his mother's best friend because he knew she would notice Clarnell's absence and call the police. He called up 59-year-old Sarah Hollett, and invited her to the house for dinner. As soon as she arrived, he strangled her to death and placed her body in a closet. He wrote a note intended for the police which read, quote, approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer any more at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do, end quote. I don't know if you think Kemper is one of the most psychotic serial killers in America, but I believe he's got to be in the top three category. Kemper apparently felt ignored and was upset that his name and the murders of his mom and her best friend weren't making the news, so he called the police after driving to Colorado. He told the police about the murders, and believe it or not, the police didn't take him seriously. They thought he was pranking them and told him to call back later. Kemper called them back after some time had passed and once again confessed to murdering his mom and her best friend. The police arrived and arrested him. After his arrest, Kemper confessed to killing a total of 10 people from 1964 to 1973 throughout his reign of terror. Court-appointed psychiatrists agreed that Kemper was legally sane and one diagnosed him as psychotic, I don't need to be a psychiatrist to diagnose this guy as psychotic. I think it's fairly clear. Dr. Fort, one of the court-appointed psychiatrists, used truth serum at one point while interviewing Kemper, and at the time he confessed to cannibalizing some of his victims, although later he denied confessing to eating some of his victims. During his trial, Kemper attempted to convince the jury that he was insane at the time of the murders and that he was possessed and blacked out during his horrific crimes. It didn't take the jury long to find Kemper guilty on all counts, and he asked for the death penalty. Unfortunately, California had placed a monitorium on capital punishment at that time, and he was spared the death sentence. He received seven years to life for each count and was sentenced to the California Medical Facility. It is a male-only state prison, established in 1959. As of January 23, 2023, the facility has an 82.4% population. Interestingly, Charles Manchin shared the same prison block as Kemper. As of this date, Kemper is still housed at that facility, serving his sentence. They consider him a model prisoner, and his job consists of scheduling fellow inmates' psychiatry appointments. As a sickening side note, he's also narrated audiobooks for a non profit organization until suffering a stroke in twenty fifteen. You can find many documentaries and interviews about Kemper and with Kemper, and it's easy to tell he is a popular subject, and there even there is <laughs> you can find many documentaries and interviews about and with Kemper, and it's easy to tell he is a popular subject. And there is even a horror film that is loosely based on him. In addition, several songs have been recorded that include sound bites from Kemper's numerous interviews. While he's had numerous parole hearings, each time he's been denied parole. His next parole hearing takes place this year, 2024. So that is it for this episode. It took me a bit longer to complete this pos- podcast as I had to take. So that's it for this episode. It took me a bit longer to complete this podcast as I had to take frequent breaks from researching this depraved monster. I will end the podcast here. Thank you for listening and I hope you will come back. Stay safe and please be kind to others. And don't murder.